0: Welcome to the ATL Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to have a special guest join our show in a bit. Uh, But but before we get there, um, we're already one week into the NBA training camp. Some players have arrived and are participating in team practices and individual workouts. Other players were caught at a strip club in Las Vegas without a mask on. (coughs) Hardened. Uh, A massive trade between the Rockets and Wizards went down that shook up the league. Uh, but before we dive into that, let's catch up with our boy, Nav. What's up, baby? What's going on, my man?
1: You you said it yourself, we're we're days away from the start of uh, an NBA season. It feels like the last one just ended yesterday. Yeah. And it's awesome. As a basketball fan, you can't complain. A um, lot of trades, the league has sort of shaken up a little
0: bit. And there's just so much to talk about, so I can't wait to dig in. Yeah, man. So, huge blockbuster trade that happened a few days ago. Um, Honestly, I'm not even sure how I really feel about it, Um, like what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook going to the Wizards for John Wall um, and a first round pick in 2013? The more I
1: reflect on the trade, the more I feel like it was kind of a wash. You have two players, two point guards, who have high usage rates, they both need the ball Uh, They're playing with talented wings and Bradley Beal and James Harden, who also need the ball. And I think both teams are going to have to figure out their backcourt chemistry. They're both poor shooters for the most part. They're both very athletic, very fast. So I don't really see why either team was excited about getting each player. I feel as though
0: that roster-wise and stylistically, both teams stay the same. I think the, the Wizards came out like bandits in this trade. One, because you still know what you're going to get from Westbrook. You're going to get a guy that's going to play with high energy, a guy that's going to leave it on the floor 100% of the time. And he's been on the floor. He's kind of an Iron Man outside of his, uh, his knee injury a few years back. But he's still a third All-NBA player and All-Star as of last season, whereas John Wall hasn't touched or been on the NBA floor in almost two, two and a half years. Um, with his, with his Achilles uh, injury. So you don't know how he's going to look. He's been out for so long. Um, a, l- a lot of his game is dependent on his athleticism, his um, speed up and down the floor. And I feel like if you lose a little bit of that, it's definitely going to affect how he um, how he performs, how he drives to the basket. He's an aggressive player, a uh, great playmaker, but just a step slower might change his game a little bit. Whereas I think Westbrook is probably the, perfect complement for someone like uh, Bradley Beal. Uh, he does hold on to the ball a little more than, than you want, but Bradley Beal is such a good spot-up shooter, uh, such a great creator, um, so I feel like they they complement each other really well. I think Westbrook is just a elite version of what John Wall has ever been. Like, the best version of John Wall is what Westbrook is right now. From like, my personal opinion. Um, someone who, like Westbrook going to get you numbers. Uh, that might not Accumulate into wins in the playoffs, but at least Washington has a decent team now with those two guys with Davis Bretons um, Another guy that stretches the floor really well. That's gonna open the lane up for uh, Westbrook and Yeah, there's so much question marks around John Wall his recovery. It's yeah, been full two full years since he's played a basketball game and Yeah, everything's kind of blowing up in Houston space right now with there's superstar not um, attending any of their opening training camp sessions and practices. and Now he's stuck in quarantine because he was out partying for, for the weekend without a mask on. So a, a little trouble in paradise for, for Houston. And it's been a pretty bleak looking off season for them with all the moves happening in the front office and uh, the player movement on their team. Yeah, I mean, just to
1: to elaborate more on the the trade, I think with the Wizards, there's, you know, hopefully with maturity, Westbrook um, and Beal don't have the del- dilemma of who takes the last shot at the end of the game, because Westbrook is notorious for wanting that opportunity, and with a guard as talented as Beal, hopefully he can sort of uh, give B- Bradley Beal the keys to that situation. Um, he gets to reunite with Scotty Brooks, which is true. great. Yeah, and I true. think one thing worth, worth mentioning about John Wall is um, it's not so much about the environment that he's playing in, but he also suffered probably the mo- the worst injury you can have in basketball mm. with the Achilles. Yeah. But, I mean, organizations won't make trades of that caliber without their due diligence. And one of the things I found just very funny is a lot of the uh, media outlets right now are, um, are basically insinuating that that pickup game that Harden had with yeah. John Wall <laughs> at Lifetime Fitness was was a big part of why uh, James Harden um, co-signed that trade. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure internally a lot of sources and people are they're pretty optimistic about how he's recovered uh, from that injury, and you know you want him you want to see him playing at a high clip, but I think you're right. I think the Wizards probably got the better player, and I think that. Um, Westbrook was coming off a really efficient second half of the season last year before mm-hmm. bubble play started. Yeah. So it's worth mentioning that. And then not to mention in the bubble he got COVID-19. Exactly. So, you know, you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It looks like his his style of play and his efficiency was trending in the right direction. And I think Washington is is probably hedging their bets based on that.
0: Yeah, I would honestly proclaim that I am one of the biggest Westbrook haters and I still like this trade a lot for Washington like again I, I totally forgot that he was being reunited with Scotty Brooks and I think are I think he mentioned in one of the interviews that they're running some of the same plays so it's going to take him no time to get acquainted and familiar with the playbook and I think being playing in the east he's always played um, out west had to compete against the best guards every night now he gets to play against some of the more above average kind of borderline all-star players um, and I feel like he's going to be able to play really, really well. Um, again, Washington still has some decent young players. They have like uh, Rui Hachimuri, uh, uh, the big guy Bryant, the versatile big guy there. And they have this decent starting five. I'm not sure what their bench is looking like. They have um, Denny Abdia the, the Israeli slash Serbian kid who was drafted by them and he fell into their lap in the draft. So again, he's a big guy who can play make. So spreads the floor a little bit for, for Westbrook, and yeah, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna th- thrive, man. I honestly think he's gonna have a good year. And I honestly don't like his like game uh, just because of how selfish he is at times. And so somehow he just like stats. He's just collecting all these stats, especially like in the, in the last few years. Uh, but I just think it's gonna be a good trade because Washington really have, didn't have anywhere to go. They were kind of stuck. With John Wall's huge contract, and they have similar contracts. They have two years left with like the same money, so it wasn't a big, big loss for uh, for Washington. Like they took on additional years or additional money. It was the same amount, like basically the same amount, same years. They just threw in a very heavily protected twenty twenty three pick, um, which is probably going to be in like the top or like the bottom ten of the of the draft when when it comes to. Uh, so yeah, and
1: I think another thing worth mentioning too is um, there seems to be no love lost between John Wall, the Houston orga- or the Washington organization, and the Washington fans. In fact, anything that I've seen or read has said anything but the fact. You know, he had some really good years with Washington. Uh, they made it to the second round of the playoffs, I believe, a couple times. Him and Bradley Beal were for, you know, three or four years straight considered one of the top backcourt duos mm-hmm. in the NBA. Yeah. And so it's, sometimes you just need that change of scenery. And I think the Raptors experienced the exact same thing with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan where, you know, they were, it was a broken record at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, the By the end of the season, they they kept having very similar success and they couldn't get themselves over that hump. Um so I think that it's important for Washington to double down on Bradley Beal and say you're our guy and chaperone him with a superstar of Russell Westbrook's caliber. I think it's going to do. I think it's going to revitalize that team in a way that just sort of gets some more wins, maybe gets some a little further mm-hmm. along in the playoffs. Yeah, especially with the play-in tournament now, and I feel like um, you know if they get themselves in that seven or eight seed, um, I yeah. like their chances sure. in, a, in a play-in tournament, their sure. experienced players, For sure. especially in, in situations under pressure. Um, it's funny that you talk about, or sorry, now that we're on the topic of culture, you know, Russell Westbrook also joins a very short list of players that want to prove themselves after playing with James Harden. Chris Paul, yeah, Dwight Howard, Howard yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and now Russell Westbrook. And from what I've, what I've seen right now, footage of him at training camp, it looks like uh, he's set the tone. And Russell Westbrook's a hard-ass worker. Yeah. And there's no one else that you want on your team to set the tone in terms of intensity, bringing energy. So it looks like Washington's actually started their first few days of training camp on the right note, whereas uh, <laughs> the team on the Western Conference in Houston can't find
0: their superstar. Exactly, exactly. So, on to that point, um, with training camp uh, underway, the season based two days uh, from or two weeks from now, sorry. um, What are some of the teams that that you think are going to be at the top of the uh, the leaderboard in terms of regular season wins uh, for this upcoming season? Are we, are we going to talk about James Harden at some point, though? Sure, we will. Elaborate, elaborate sure. him on a bit? Sure, sure. No problem. Okay.
1: <laughs> I feel like we have to because um, his behavior and what he's displaying right now is, is ridiculous. Yeah, we, we get back to that. We get back to that. All right. So two teams that I think I'm excited for. One, I'm excited because I feel like they have a really good chance of doing damage in the Western Conference. The other, I'm excited for because I don't know what to expect. Um, so let's start with the Utah Jazz. Mm. I feel as though um, they might, I feel as though they could be a top three team in the Western Conference this coming season. Um, they signed Donovan Mitchell to the extension. Yep. They got a healthy Bogdanovich and they re-signed Clarkson, who had a low-key, very efficient shooting season last year. Yep. And I think that um, with those pieces, and not to mention Rudy Gobert, who a lot of people before the bubble even started, um, thought that he'd be traded there's a lot of rumors that him and Donovan Mitchell were on the rocks. There was a lot of uh, rumors that their chemistry was going to be an issue. And they actually had a very successful postseason. Um, they were a possession away from advancing. Yeah. I know they blew a 3-1 lead, but they were a possession away from advancing. And I know that Gary Harris missed that, uh, missed that layup, but they were a possession away. They, they kind of fell short just like the Clippers fell short. Um, but uh, I feel as though they have the continuity within their roster to to do damage. And they've always hovered around that 4-5 or five seed. Yeah. And I believe that with Donovan Mitchell taking the leap that he did in the bubble, um, regular season bubble play and postseason play, that they've sort of identified who their go-to guy is at all times. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you need a superstar like that. And if he's going to play like a superstar... Um, they have what it takes to be a top three team in the in the West.
0: Going back to the opponent that they played in the first round, the Denver Nuggets, I think they're going to take a huge step forward. What like what a great playoff run they had um, this past season. I think that's just going to give them so much more confidence. Um, they already have a two-headed monster in Jokic and Murray, um, two guys that play different contrasting styles but they complement each other so well. One being more ball-dominant, a guy who can shoot the lights out, but another one who, again, can spread the floor. But he's a mastermind. He's a beautiful, incredible passer. And now you add in someone like Michael Porter Jr., who has a season under his belt. You know, there's always injury concerns with him, but he played, you know, a good good chunk in, in the bubble in the playoffs, and he showed he can be a spark plug. So he's... Probably the default third guy now with, uh, with um, Jeremy Grant out of the picture. And they also have Will Barton uh, coming back from injury. Uh, Gary Harris. Uh, so I think they have a really, really strong roster. Uh, Mike Malone's done a great job coaching that team up. And I think, yeah, I think Jamal is going to take a huge step forward. I, I, w- I would be surprised if he wasn't a an all-star caliber guard um, this upcoming season. Uh, he'll probably either... You know, be battling, one, battling for that one or two spots uh, out in the West, or he will be an a all-star depending on how they do in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I'm always rooting
1: for the Nuggets, always, yep. rooting, for, always rooting for Kitchener's finest. Um, the Nuggets had probably the most exciting uh, postseason season performance, in, I would say, with, with Jamal Murray consistently dropping 50, yep. coming out of his shell. I'm just concerned about what they lost. Um, they lost Troy Daniels, Troy Craig, Jeremy Grant, Noah Vonley. Um, they added RJ Hampton and Jermichael yeah. Green. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I don't know if, in terms of their roster, they necessarily got better. I think that they're, be- they're banking on Michael Porter Jr.'s emergence. Mm-hmm. And I feel as though we saw it in the bubble, but he can't play defense.
0: He's still a rookie, and he's probably still yeah. He just doesn't under this understand the schemes. That's the thing. He's physically imposing. He's he can he's long as hell, and he's still light on his speed. He's quick. He's just kind of lost because he doesn't understand the rotations, understand the schemes that you know. And he's being thrown into the into the ringer right off the bat. Like he hasn't played that many regular season games, and you're asking him to um, you know be a Scoring option on a playoff team that's contending in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, so that's absolutely. quite a bit for a young guy who you know was hurt his first full year and just slowly getting back onto where um, where they project him to be. And honestly, I think he is the big X factor within the West with the next few years. Not just next year. They they might you know they're they're still quite young and the Clippers and Lakers are still there. But you know as LeBron gets a little older, Kawhi gets a little older. What's who's the next team that's up next, and I think it's them. I think they have two, Jokic, who is a top five, top seven player in the league um, just because of his skill set and Jamal being that great secondary complementary player who can score at will. And now they have another guy that is 6'11", kd light player that they can either bring off the bench or have him start at the three and just double up him and give them two, three years and see where they're at. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think
1: the, the, the defensive comment relates to his ACL injuries. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just one. There's been more than one. And so, you know, with, with defense, it's all about the lateral quickness, the lateral movement. And if he doesn't yeah. have that due to those previous injuries, um, then they're going to be in trouble because the Western Conference is the hardest, currently the hardest conference um, in, the, in the NBA. Obviously, that's starting to shift in talent with the East. But um, he's going to have to guard the nba's find night, mm. night in and night out and yeah. everyone and if you're going to be a top 3 team in the west everyone everyone wants your head um, so i feel like their success relies on that man the other concern i have about him is just his comments in the bubble about his his touches or um, or who what what number he is on the roster is the first option second option or third option obviously um when you're a rookie, when you're young, you can be naive at times, but he's got to buy into being that third option in order for them to be, in, or, in order for them to be successful.
0: For sure. For sure. I totally agree. Um, do you have a team in the East that um, you think are going to surprise anyone or you think they're going to play above um, expectations for the regular season? Um, I think the Raptors, to be honest. I think the Raptors
1: are going to exceed expectation because I think they're going to have a similar finish to last year. I feel like they have what it takes to still be a top three team in the East. Uh, losing Gasol, losing uh, Baca is obviously huge in terms of veteran presence, playmaking, and defensive ability. But, you know, I think guys like OGN and Norman Powell, and Chris Boucher are re- ready to make a leap. And I feel as though we didn't really regress that much in our front court by adding Alex Len and Aaron Baines. And Aaron Baines. So I feel as though we have the coaching we have, we have the right level of coaching and we still have a core to sort of keep us afloat in the mm-hmm. East. So I think that they're going to surprise uh, media and fans the most because I feel as though they're going to be able to continue a similar level of success.
0: Yeah, I think their frontcourt play is going to drop a little bit. It's just going to be a different style. We saw in the playoffs when the, the Raptors were playing the Celtics how much damage... Um, What's that, the, uh, the Williams kid, the Bay kid, who is just so athletic, just so much more athletic than Gasol, just a little quicker off the bounce than Ibaka, and we saw that he put he did a lot of damage to the, to the Raptors, and he was a very uh, effective player for, for the Celtics throughout that series. Um, and I think that's what Boucher having an elevated role, um, Alex Lennon is going to be able to provide. Aaron Baines is going to be a great asset because he's going to be able to shoot, spread the floor. And just give Siakam a little more uh, room to facilitate. You know, we, we saw him struggle a little bit with the shot. Um, his confidence was shot a little bit there uh, in, the, in the later rounds of the playoffs there. And I think he's going to have a huge uh, bounce back season. I know he had a really good, had a really strong um, regular season last year. But then when he got into the bubble, everything just kind of fell apart. So I think just with his personality, with his, with his attitude... He'll either maintain the same level of play that he did in the regular season last year or elevate a little bit now because he doesn't have to give up more shots to Ibaka or to Gasol, right? So I think even with the emergence of OG, I think OG's going to have a big, big year. Um, He played really well in the playoffs. He was probably our most consistent player defensively and even offensively. Some guy that can just hit the three, give you 12, 14 points a game and be the lead defender on, you know, the best player on the other team. And I think he'll have a big, big season for us um, coming up. I could see a prediction I would have for OG Andanobi is he's he's the runner
1: up for most improved player. Oof. I feel like he could I feel like he has what it takes. Boost, but at the same <laughs> at the same time, I think what we can expect from the Raptors going forward is a more spaced out offense. Um, we're probably gonna
0: give up more points per game. On the defensive oh, yeah. end, yeah, yeah, uh, without Gasol and Siakam, yeah, that's exactly where we're going to lose, but um, a lot of their uh, effectiveness and their their skill sets, it's the, the defensive side of things. But I feel like we're going to
1: score more points per game and probably play at a quicker clip. Mm-hmm. Um, probably won't play Larry as much minutes per game during the regular season. Yeah, um, and we're probably going to run like
0: eight, nine guys deep, kind of like we did this season. Yeah, yeah, I like them too. So my my pick out of the East. I really like Philadelphia. I think I've mentioned it in our previous pod, but I just like everything that they've done so far. Um, and I know there's rumors that they're looking at trading for Ben Simmons or trading for Harden, throwing Ben Simmons in there. But honestly, if they're able to keep Ben Simmons, keep Embiid, they've added Mori they've added Doc, they've added uh, Seth Curry, they've added Danny Green. Great shooting to that team now. Mm-hmm. They also have, sorry, Chance Ferguson too. So they have a strong, strong uh, supporting cast with those two guys. And they're still so young. I, th- I think we forget how young they were. They've only been a really solid team in the last two, three years. You we, we know how much they struggled um, building that process. You know, you got to trust that process for so long. Now it's time to perform and time to um, make your presence felt in, in the regular season and the playoffs. They had a terrible regular season last year. They couldn't win any games on the road. So maybe without the the fans um, at these other arenas, they might be able to pick up some additional wins, and they'll always play well at home. So um, I, I I definitely see their number of wins uh, definitely going up from last year. No, I love I
1: love that that pick. I think Philadelphia is they got a huge ceiling, and it's funny you mention them because. It's funny that you mentioned that they're young. It's funny that you mentioned the process because for all those reasons, I feel as though they shouldn't bring in James Harden. Um, I feel like he would be a culture shock to their young core. Obviously, they'd have to pick and choose between Embiid and Simmons, and you know who they'd pick. They're obviously going to pair a guy like Harden up with yeah. uh, with a Joel Embiid. And I don't understand how stylistically they fit on the court, and I definitely
0: have my concerns of their compatibility off the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the, well for sure they haven't been able to get past the second round of of the playoffs. They haven't shown that they get there, and they they were close. They were close, and we, we know what happened with the quiet shot and how close they were to going overtime. Uh, but they also had Jimmy Butler, you know, so a huge piece to that team that's not there anymore. So they're looking to fill that that role with with a with a lead guard or someone that can you know, um, take them to the next level. And I think having even those role guys and having Doc Rivers there, I think he's just gonna change the entire culture of that team because how long have we talked about Brett Brown and him kind of being a underwhelming coach for that team, especially a guy that never had head coaching experience before he uh, joined that team. He was kind of got the guy that was a scapegoat for trusting the process for so long. And then he was able to, you know, get, uh, watch them grow and, um, get the fruits of the labors early on. But, you know, I don't think he was the right coach to take them to the next step. I think hiring Doc was the perfect fit. And honestly, I think they are one of the teams you definitely have to watch out for outside of Milwaukee, outside of the Raptors, outside of Celtics, yeah, outside I mean, of the Heat. right? So There's coaches in the league that, that do well with young
1: talent, like Dwayne Casey, Kenny Atkins, um... Yeah. Brett Brown, yeah, they're yeah, exactly. they're culture guys. Yeah. They they take a young roster, they set the tone, they they inspire them, um, they get them, they teach them how to be pros. But at the end of the day, like sometimes they have a really hard time making it, taking a team past that next step. That's why Brooklyn had to part ways with Kenny Atkins. That's why um, Toronto had to part ways with Dwayne Casey. And I feel mm-hmm. like Doc Brown's a, a he's a he's a veterans coach, and now that uh, the players have matured. To the age and stage that they're at, I think that it's his turn to, uh, to take them yeah. further along the journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, those, that's, those are like my teams, that I think, that are going to do really well this year. Uh, but let's quickly just jump back to the James Harden fiasco that's going on right now. For those who don't know, uh, training camp again was last week. He hasn't reported to training camp. He was seen partying at, in Atlanta and Las Vegas. And, um, yeah, now he's stuck in quarantine because, uh, you know, you can't just come and join your team after partying without a mask on for, for the weekend. So, you know, this guy has played with three superstars now, and I think there's a common theme with them, like with Dwight Howard, like what you said, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, or Russell Westbrook. Those guys, you know, weren't able to win a championship with them, seems like when they left. They left with a sour taste in their mouths on every occasion, on every situation, and now he's kind of left that team in shambles. They they hire a young coach, Um, you know. They I don't even know who their GM is anymore, and they just traded for John Wall because again he played well on a pickup game a few weeks ago. So, I know I know your feelings and your thoughts towards towards him, but like, what are your thoughts on just the player empowerment? Movement and this guy rejecting like what the hundred million dollars two years contract not committing to anything and kind of really Taking this entire franchise down the drain if he you know gets traded for pennies on the dollar Yeah, well, I mean it's a caveat to
1: all organizations to be careful um, to bring this guy in yeah, because um, what more does an organization have to do for a superstar more than what Houston did for James Harden. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in Chris Paul when he wanted them to, and they gave him the boot when it didn't work out. Uh, giving Dwight Howard the boot when their, their chemistry didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, bringing in Russell Westbrook, a former teammate of his in OKC, yeah. giving him the boot when it didn't work out. And when I say giving him the boot, I'm just referring to the fact that there was a 100% likelihood that he was consulted in these moves. Because that's what player empowerment's about. And I believe that James Harden is the perfect example of how players are able to abuse their power in this new era. And how it can be a very toxic and detrimental thing. Um, on the flip side, you get a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who is the perfect example of how an organization can screw you over. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know he Good was point. blindsided by a trade after being allegedly told that there was job security. And he spoke about that at length, right? But, uh, I mean, what James Harden is doing, especially for the fact that he didn't make it to the first day of training camp. As a superstar player, you have a a rookie head coach. You got new players on your team. It's about setting the tone. Yeah. The NBA is trying to be COVID safe right now, and he's being documented in a strip club without a mask. So, I mean, it just doesn't add up, but it's a perfect example of how an organization like the Houston Rockets is kind of screwed because he's expressed his desire to get traded, mm-hmm. um, and they got to do something about it. And what they, what Houston wants in return, is enough pieces to move forward, and that's a massive haul. Mm.
0: But teams are going to be able to leverage the fact that they know he's disgruntled. Yeah, and that he only wants to play for Brooklyn or maybe the Sixers. So that's limited. Yeah, they're, they're yeah they're being handcuffed. In a sense, they're, they don't have that many options that he's not going to, you know. Teams have all the leverage now because they know you're not going to get anything from us because we know where he wants to go. And, you know, we're not going to give you everything that we have on our table or, or an air chest set because we know how disgruntled he is. And not to mention, Houston can't find
1: him <laughs> because yeah. it sets a bad precedent to other yeah. teams. Yeah, for sure. So I think the move, and the reason why I'm talking about all this, I feel like the move is that the NBA has to find him. I feel as though that the NBA has to find him um, just based on the fact that he's not reporting to his job, yeah. the fact that he's per- participating in activities that aren't COVID friendly given how safe the NBA is trying to be in order to protect their brand, protect their revenue, yeah. um, and the fact that he's behaving the way he is,
0: it's not only reckless to himself, the team, but it's re- reckless to the NBA. Yeah, I agree and that's that's so bad because they've built everything around this guy. They gave this guy the perfect coach they gave this guy the perfect point guard and traded traded that perfect point guard away for with draft picks to get another player that he just felt disgruntled with after a year. So, you know, as an Adidas athlete, you know, I, it sucks that he's acted this way. He's kind of the face of Adidas and, you know, it's it's not a good look on that brand. Um, but, you know, that, I think we should um, end it there. We have, we're gonna take a break. Uh, we're gonna bring in our, uh, our guests and we will catch you guys in one second. Welcome back to the ATL podcast. Our special guest has arrived into the studio and we're ready to roll. Um, he's a founder and lead trainer at Never Stop Basketball, an assistant coach um, at Wolford Laurier specializing in player development on the men's, nas- or men's basketball team, and most importantly, a soon-to-be father who's expecting a baby boy in a few months. Nick, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us today.
2: Nice to be here. Uh, got lost on the way, apparently, but <laughs> that's all right. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. We're good. We are episode twenty-one.
0: We've done that many. Yeah, we've done twenty-one in the last probably six, seven months. So yeah, we're getting getting used to things. Yeah. You're, you're our second guest. We had Day on. Oh.
2: We had Dayan on as what, like, was a, it like
0: finance guy. <laughs> no, we just had him on due, kind of give give thoughts on like the bubble and everything. Yeah, so With the breakdown
2: of the salary cap, maybe. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe I'm sure Dan knows he all. He about probably that. he probably know it in and out. But how how you been? How's how's Beth? Um, everything's good right now. Yeah, no, honestly, like everything is really good. We're just waiting around for another two months. That's how. To, that's when the baby. Yeah, February. Is. Well, do you have guys have a date? Eighteenth, uh, but who knows? You know, yeah, the, yeah. So. I've got, see, the funny thing is, actually, I was talking to you yesterday, and um, I've got a camp that I'm doing now in, for Athlete Institute, Yeah. and one of the days is the 23rd. Ooh, <laughs> so I've got so some, close. yeah, now, basically, it's as long as it's not on the 23rd that it's born, we're good.
0: So <laughs> how have you and Beth been preparing
2: for for this little boy that's coming <sighs> into your life now? Like? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I mean, we've just been taking it like week by week just giving ourselves tasks yeah. you know like we know what we we know what we're supposed to end up at like my brother had a kid just turned 1 actually so a year ago and it was nice to see the things the steps that they took and what they what kind of the end goal was and what it looked like when the baby was born so we've just taken that and just worked backwards from it yeah um so yeah we've got stuff every weekend it's kind of oh, we're doing this we're doing that and and part of the with COVID, it's, there's been a lot of extra time for me where I don't have as much basketball training due to gym closures and yeah, and, and you know going in and out of the different different zones and stuff. Um, so I've had a lot of extra time in the evenings to, to do things, like to, yeah. whether it's around the house or just going out to buy stuff that we need. And, cool. But yeah, I don't know. Mentally, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where when it happens, it's, you just take it and go. Nice. Yeah. And Beth doing okay? Yeah. With, yeah, very well so far. Yeah. Um, no issues, knock on wood. Yeah, and your family, yeah. everyone's doing... Yeah, everyone's healthy, everyone's doing well. Um, no, that's
0: good. That's all that matters.
2: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, no, it's true. It's true.
0: Yeah, it's funny because
1: in a way, you know, they always say that, you know, during a crisis there's an opportunity. Um, a couple of my buddies recently had kids and the fact that COVID has been happening, the world's kind of slowed down a bit. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, the mother having her husband during Matt leave because he's not working... Um, it actually gives you the opportunity to spend a lot more time with the newborn, which is kind of rare given how, you know, go, go, yeah. go we usually are, right? So yeah. um, might be a blessing in disguise in terms of yeah. those first couple
2: months. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it really, it, if people are, you know, financially okay and they don't have that kind of stress to worry about, I definitely think there's, I mean, it'd be nice to have time, like as soon as the baby's born to be able to be home and help out and all that and not have to worry about going to work, coming back. Um, and not having time, which I think a lot of us, because we've slowed down, like we have that opportunity now. Yeah,
1: Nick, I have a question for you. So you recently jumped on board with Laurier University.
2: For yeah. explain your role with them, and then I have a follow up. So I'm one of the one of two um, coaches that does player development, and uh, basically it just came. Do you want like I mean it came about from me working with lots of guys in word of mouth and then uh justin got in contact with me you know just through instagram followed each other and that's one of those things where like it'd be awesome to talk about later those the communications you can make through um instagram but yeah we communicated through there he uh it was an interesting thing because he had me in you know to one of the practices and he just basically asked me what's your philosophy on training and it kind of put me on the spot and you know there's not much you, you you don't make anything up you don't lie you're not trying to Uh, sell the guy anything you just tell him this is this is kind of what I do and it it aligned with his approach and mentality and I think that was kind of why um, like how the offer came about because the way that I wanted train players is very very similar to the way that he believes in training players Um, and so right away we kind of we we hit it off in that regard
1: yeah and what is that because right now like you know we grew up in an era in basketball where um, you know there were camps and there were programs and they were limited and Right now with the internet, we're actually like just before the start of yeah. the viral era and social media. Um, and now there's there's training philosophies, programs, and celebrity uh, trainers left, right, and center. So as, a, as an aspiring athlete, if you're growing up playing basketball, your head's on a swivel because there's just so much information. So how do you consolidate all that as a trainer with, with your university athletes?
2: That's the it's the million dollar question. I feel like <laughs> um, to answer your question, I'll, I'll just I'll talk I'll expand a little bit on what you know what you're talking about. Let we take it back, you know, ten fifteen years when we were all playing. Uh, take it back another 30, 30 years before that, and we've already seen that evolution. From um, we started we were playing with YouTube, and I still remember you know watching TV and there'd be better basketball with like Mike Bibby. And that that was like the only place really you taught you saw skills. Every single camp um, was the exact same, and camps were usually social. It was like send your kid; they they'll make some friends, they'll have a good time, and then they uh, they come back. And so for me, I, I started noticing through a couple of years of coaching um, that the skills were still a little behind, and there there was a gap. Um, like there was a gap between even our generation because. The one thing I saw with us was we we were like we were just stubborn in wanting to get better, but we didn't necessarily have the places to go to figure it out. Like our idea of getting better was like, hey, let's eight of us go to Rim Park and exactly. play a four-and-four. Four. Yeah. Like our idea was getting of getting better was just do what you do and play, and you know, some kind of innovation will happen and maybe you'll create a new move or you'll you'll create something new. So I, I always think back to that, and then, you know, you talk to the older guys and kind of their stories. and um, I felt like we missed a huge um, a huge part of being able to like being shown how to train. And so when i when I think right now with kids um, to consolidate, I think that's the the best word to consolidate that information, you have to look back on, what were your successes? What were guys around you? What were their successes? And what did they come from? Um, because sometimes it's, it, you know, there's... I was just talking on the phone with a local coach, and um, we mentioned how the hardest things to, to train are the things that were natural to us as players. And and so that's why, it, to consolidate, you have to go and pick, pick brains, pick brains, pick brains, mm-hmm. and have a mentality but that's very like a mentality of training, but that's flexible. And the the best way that I can explain it is the more you become of a, a blueprint kind of trainer, the I want to say the worse it becomes. Because you're losing you're losing kids left and right if they don't fit into your your kind of plan. So to, to me I've got you know a philosophy of that I believe that training you know purposely works purposefully works that you know high reps works, the consistency works. But then after that, it's every single player that I work with gets different like they get different training. And and I think that's kind of my mentality. So applying it to um applying it to a university level, it's it's the exact same I would say. And then you just have to add in that it's a little bit of a higher level than the usual high school part so you see okay well what are the what are the different components or the different difficulties that they're facing at that level and slowly try to adapt um, adapt to it so so with the the OUA like the winter season basically being
0: canceled what what's your role now how do you how do you interact with the players how is this still
2: stuff that you can do in the gym or how is it working right now I'm, I'm kind of out of that so I right, it. right now, it, it keeps changing with the different zones, right? So we go from one time being able to have the whole team in the gym with coaches to going in a red zone where it's guys are able to work in groups of three. And okay. so at that point, it's okay. Players are coming in on their own, and they're trying to – it becomes difficult because they're guiding themselves. You know, you can't have another coach in there with them. Um, you can't do physical, like anything with contact. And as soon as you take away that contact piece – um, I like to think that you're really only, you're not enhancing your skills anymore. You're just maintaining. And, and that's, that's, I think that's the big thing right now is guys are maintaining. And my goal is, or my, my job is, well, within this time frame, what are the aspects of basketball that you can work on? And because it's limited time, there's certain skills that you're, you know, a skill like shooting and, and changing a shot isn't one that's going to be worked on right now unless you can get in the gym seven times a week. So if you're only going once or twice, maybe three times a week, it's about keeping up, you know, partly the game shape and working on things like your pace, the mental, mental part of things. So like your pace, the angles of attack, um, how to just situational basketball. And, and then that, that brings its own challenges, but it's usually um, the mental side of the game right now that I'm focusing on.
1: Cool. Yeah, I feel like this is a gap here. For, for any athlete, whether you're playing basketball, soccer, hockey, whatever it is, it's a weird year because um, everyone's limited right now in their respective sport. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can just get through the, through this. I feel so bad for um, for seniors who are in their last year graduating, yeah. for rookies who are expecting to go into this season and get that first-year university basketball experience that they're going to be robbed of now, or any uh, graduating high school student that was hoping to you know, have this last year to get seen. How much of the kids that uh, you work with, um, how affected are they in terms of their ability to
2: reach their aspirations? Every single one of them is affected just varying varying degrees, unfortunately. Like it, it, you basically hit everything on the head. I've got guys that are stepping into big years where they're trying to get D1 scholarships, and that's been, that's been paused, whether it's their season or the camps and the exposure that they're trying to get. Um, there's guys that are first year players who aren't experiencing that full that oppor- they're not having that opportunity of developing the way that a regular first year would. And then I've got guys that are coming back for fifth years, thinking this was it. And that fifth year is a big year when you're a high school player because now it's your time to shine, and yeah. you know you're you're the big man on on in the in the league. Um, and so I feel those guys are probably affected by it the most because they've now got two years of recruitment. To fight against because they have the year before who are still considered rookies and they have their full year, which hasn't happened. Like, in, I, I can't remember it happening once where you've got two years of rookies coming in, and, and so that I think I find that very, very hard um, and frustrating for players because not only do you have that obstacle of there's t- almost twice as many players, you know, mathematically that are going to be recruited, they're on uneasy because they can't even get to the gym as much as they want to and that they're used to um yeah like now that we kind of know your like
0: philosophy and your approach to training what got you to start never stop basketball um i know like a few years back when we were talking you were like thinking of this idea how can i make like a side hustle Thinking of like the logo, the branding, and all that. I remember like being at your house and the logo was talking about thing. this. Yeah, the logo was <laughs> was a big hurdle. But um, like what? Yeah, what made you start this this basketball program or this business that you know? I feel that you're thriving in right now, and you're doing a very good job.
2: So like, what? How it started? You know, where do you see it going? Uh, I I think it came from two places, and the the first place was just my own experience with with basketball and how. I made a huge jump with my ability um, when I be, when I finally trained with somebody that was a good trainer, you know, somebody that knew what they were doing, and my my game exploded after that. And it was the first time in my life um, where I just thought, oh, you're not as good as you know as you are. You can become better. You know, like you're not limited by it. Like there there is a lot that can be worked on. And and that started opening my mind up. And after that, that was about I was 17 years old. And after that, I started looking at everything else um, differently, especially with basketball, because I said, okay, you can apply that. You can apply that. You're not limited by who you are. Um, you know, you can grow from it and expand. And so I, I would say the first part was my own experience leading to seeing a lot of these players that, you know, I, I don't, not to sound condescending, but a lot of them just don't know how to train. They haven't been taught how to train. They, you know, I can tell you, go train. But that means nothing to you if you haven't been walked through it and taught it. Um, not even just been put through drills, but explained. You know how how things work to to improve you. How many reps need to be done? Uh, you know stuff like that. And the second part was, I mean, the second part's it's kind of twofold. It's it's more it's a personal thing for me because I want to uh, I want to give back and I want to prove that I'm good at it and, and it, the reason when, when we talk the reason it took me so long to get to the point where I was like I was okay with with doing it was I couldn't be half in, right uh, before that I was still like I was still training I'd, I'd come back from Europe I was thinking do I want to try again do I not want to try again and as soon as you're in that mind frame it's really hard to let go of you know you can't hold on to your career and expect to um, and, and dedicate your time to somebody else's Right. Like you can't do that. So you have to either choose. And and I got to a point when we talked where I said, you know, my career's not like it's not happening. So now I can. Okay, what's next? I want to focus on having people be better than like do better than I was, do better than the guys that were around me. And and it became a part of it is an ego thing where, you know, I I want to prove that I'm good at it. It was the same with basketball. Like I don't want to go on the court and try to be the fourth best player. I, I want to be the best player. And going into training was the same thing. Like, I don't want to go and try to be the fourth best player or the best trainer. I want to be the best trainer that I, that I can be. And, and there's, so there's a competitiveness to it as well. Um, and so, when, yeah, when we talked, you know, it was little things at the beginning like logo, gym time, stuff like that. And once you decide to step in and become committed, you have to kind of – you have to make a – you know, for me, it was when I started talking to people and telling them that I was going to do it, even before I'd taken mm-hmm. all of the steps. Yeah. Once you start telling people, it's kind of oh, I'm now I'm being held accountable. You know, they know about what I want to do. I really need to, uh, to to push through with it. So I would say, yeah, the top two reasons were my personal experience and realizing how much I could help, and then the second part of just wanting to improve guys' careers and, and help them get to as far of a level as they wanted to go. So, mm-hmm. how,
0: how many guys do you have? Um, kind of in your program right now and like what do you see um, your business growing into let's say in the next few years and how do you yeah how do you
2: plan to project that the right now is it it's a very very hard time to you know say I've had this many guys I don't like to think of um, guys in my program I, I don't I don't look at it that way at least okay. I look at it as like uh, and it's and it goes back to what Nav was saying with all of these, with all the trainers out there. You know, you don't say that's my player like he's in my program. The, the kids are smart, and, and hopefully they're going and getting resources from different, different people because every trainer is going to provide them some kind of a, um, like a different skill or a different mindset to them. So, for me, I I just say I associate with, and I've probably got over forty, fifty players, whether it's five times a week or once every three months I just to me it's it's the same as um you know the rest of life it, you build connections and then you hang on to them and so we I might have a I might have one person that we work out in the summer and I don't train them again for eight months or nine months or ten months because they're gone and they come back and it's like hey they you know they ring me up come on can I come train with you perfect and as long as it's you know I always say as long as it's mutually beneficial I I, I can I will continue to work with uh with anybody Cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, I just have a question with regards to like the landscape in general. And it's a, it's a pretty vast market, the player development, especially when you factor in the internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. there's a lot of trainers yeah. and there's a lot of programs that don't have the player's best interest in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. sort of connecting the two, we grew up in an era where um, our circle was only so big. And I feel as though players now have, whether it's prep schools, whether it's institutes, whether it's all these resources online, they're being sold. The end result, and it's not so much about being good anymore as a kid growing up. It's so it's sort of more about getting seen, and that's how I feel at least. So maybe yeah. just shed light yeah. into it because um, you were saying you know what expanded your game when you were when you're an aspiring basketball player was um, you know you had a trainer that that expanded things and expanded your mind Um, with social media. I feel like kids is tension spans are lower. So how is it, how is it, how is it, what's it like training this generation of kids? And what are some of your frustrations? And what do you have to say about sort of the emergence of AAU, prep school, institute, stuff like that, where kids are being told join this program and you'll get
2: seen or get exposed and you'll go here. This, this answer is going to be like 30 minutes long. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's loaded, but it's a, it's an amazing question because it, it just – this is a conversation I have with parents, with coaches, with players, depending on if they can handle the conversation. And so first, think first thing I think you mentioned was the exposure part. Um from grade nine to pros, the guys are worried about exposure. And, and it's more so at the, like that AAU level, that high school level. There's guys making decisions based on the team that they're going to play, not whether it's the right decision of coach, role, players, skill development, but they're going to be in the biggest tournament, so I'm going there. Um, and, and, and so that, that exposure part is really, really big. I, I think it's a negative, but at the same time, it, it, it there's a lot of positives to it because guys are going further places than ever before. Like, there's more and more Canadians going places. Um, so when you talk about the end result, I want to say more guys are achieving that end result. However, more are also being misled and not achieving it. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a little bit of both where, yeah, it's, it's both. It's, it's both that the players... Are getting to D1, and then there's just as many getting stuck at, you know, in JUCO, is getting stuck at prep schools, shelling out 30 grand for a year, and then, you know, there's guys, there's guys that aren't starters in a high school team, in the region that are going to go and pay 25 grand. Somewhere else to. Not play at the next level either, right? And, and so
1: I guess with that being said, when you're training an individual one on one, is it hard to convince them to buy into this? brick by brick approach in terms of like adding tools to your toolkit or is it difficult because they're so fixated
2: on um you know getting to that school or depends on the player It, it depends on the player like there's there's guys that are one of the easiest guys i have as far as training is probably the highest level one as well and what's amazing with him is he doesn't question you and it reminds me of myself because i was very you tell me what it is i do it i trust you yeah. You know, that's why I'm coming to you. I trust you. Other guys, you have to build that trust level. They need some kind of a breakthrough where they go, oh, what he's saying is it makes sense. So, um, sorry, I think I lost, lost a little bit of your question there. But, yeah, to get guys to buy in, um, it, 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 it's different case by case. And so some guys will buy in right away. Other guys take some time because they want to see and and that's where I, f- I have one of the biggest problems is because if you don't buy in until you see results, you're not. You it's going to be hard for you to see the results because you haven't bought in. So it's kind of like which is going to happen first, mm. um, and, and so it, there's with with that there's a lot of like ups and downs, like in the season as you know where, the guy players are more vulnerable, and when they're more vulnerable, then they'll go oh you know what things aren't working out. I'm willing to. Change something. When things are going well, all sometimes harder to uh to adapt and, and change something about their game.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely answers it. And again, just another thing, you mentioned parents, and I can just imagine how tough it'd be dealing with parents in this generation because um you know, sports specialization is so big now and parents want to put their kids in the most expensive because they most expensive program because they feel as though that's going to provide the best results. Yeah. Um, so I could see them being a demanding group of
2: people as well. And and the, the parent stuff goes back to like even with what Tuan was saying I think you mentioned you know where where do you see me going kind of like what's my what's my goal and to me it's relationship building and that's one thing I think as a player um, I was blind to because I just thought if you're good you're good that was it right. So I didn't think about relationship building not that I was a like difficult ever but it was always about if I'm better, that's good enough. As a trainer, you start seeing that, you know, the relationship sometimes is more important than because a lot of these guys are not going to go. Some might not go CIS. Some might not go D1. Some might not go pro. So it's what are you building outside of basketball as well with them? And the, a lot of parents want to know that, um, you, that you're a good role model to their kid, and they want to know that you're in it for their best interests. And and I've been very very blessed that you know, whether it's through my own process of how I vet players and, and parents that I've had just great relationships with everybody that I've, that I've worked with. Yeah. You know, with what with, with Na was saying earlier
0: with like these internet basketball trainers like DG Sackman, yeah, Joe yeah. Hanlon, Jordan Lawley, um, I know you're trying to utilize more social media, more Instagram. To show footage of your runs, to show footage of the skills you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, how do you plan to continue using that that platform to kind of give more exposure to um, to your own business, but then also to
2: the kids that are part of your program? Uh, great question. And I I try to I try my best with it. There's no like there's no formula. the The biggest thing that I've noticed is if your intentions are, you know, if your intentions are good then the players will, especially on Instagram, they'll repost your stuff. Exactly, yeah. And so that that becomes the big part of it. Now, it's a, it's a huge learning curve. So for me, like doing this for two years, there's, you just you do things and it fails and you think this is going to be amazing and it fails. Then you do another thing that you're just like, I'm just getting through it in like 10 minutes and it's like, oh, it did really well. So players want to be highlighted and that it comes down to that. Players want to be highlighted mm-hmm. no matter if they're bad or if they're, good or if they're great they want to be highlighted and as i've realized that i've gone away from teaching as much through my instagram page and i've really gone to i'm going to highlight these players as much as possible because it's just a it's a very it's a snowball effect of i highlight a very good player and he you know he reshares that another one or two players want now they're like oh you know what He trusts him. And so we talked about this early on when we said people show or people see value in just by looking at your Instagram page, right? They see value in your ratio. And it's it's stupid stuff, but they see value in your ratio and they attribute it to you. They go, he must be good because of that ratio. He must be good because this player is reposting a story. And that took me a while to realize, and I don't particularly love it. I don't like that part about it, but it's kind of a necessary thing that that you have to do. Um, I try to do it with the right intentions of, you know, I want to highlight players. So there's a lot of time where, you know, I I have conversations with guys after I, like, I'll I'll reshare something, and then it it ends up being a 30-minute conversation about the highlight that I reshared because we're breaking something down. And, you know, to me, it it, it, like, that kind of stuff is probably – for the player, it helps build even more trust. Like it helps build even more trust and he's going, you know what, like this person, like he's he's trying to highlight what I'm doing, he's helping me with my game and now he's breaking stuff down with me as well. Um, yeah. Cool, okay. Um, and I know like, I know so
0: many Kobe fans and I know there's so many people that love his mentality, his, his play and you are the biggest Kobe fan I know. Like. Like you, you're you're up there, so like, how do you obviously like with um, the last dance with Kobe recently passing away, and more of the mental side of basketball being highlighted and being spotlighted um, throughout like social media, throughout everything. How are you like mentally preparing your players, or how are you training them mentally
2: um, with your program? we watch film yeah <laughs> so we we record a lot of what we do and then we like we break it down we watch film sometimes it's simple stuff but you can't throw too much at guys and so you, when you look at the kobe mentality a lot of it is based on skill over athleticism right so develop the skills be so good that you're predictable and when you can be predictable and good you know, nobody can really do anything to you so we talk a lot about putting putting yourself in the right position, and if you watch, you know, you watch Kobe, you watch the greats, they go to specific spots on the court. And what what I've learned recently um, through just a, like just a lot of studying is that you know Kobe was good because of the skill, and then Kobe was good because of the like that mental preparation part where he put himself in positions. Uh, to score right, and that's what he was. He was a scorer, so he put himself in those positions. So, the way that I approach guys that I'm training is you know, if you're a scorer, where are you good at scoring from? Right, because and it's a balance of improving the player but also highlighting what they're already good at in game. So, if you're a good scorer from you know the 45 or the top in pick and roll situations, we want to make that even better like, make it so good that defenses can't do anything about it. Um, yeah, I've, I've the 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 other the other part too is the, the and this is the harder part to get into guys is that Kobe's boring and the way that he trains is boring like he'll he'll go on one side of the court and do two moves for an hour and a half and so for me that's the struggle of kind of my own philosophy which I agree with Kobe on that and guys wanting to be you know, they, they see a lot and this goes back to what you know what both of you guys are talking about with the internet you know sensational trainers of it's just quick hitting 10 second clips and it, it looks like they're doing a million things and those trainers they know what they're doing because that's what sells but they know what they're doing when mm-hmm. they train they're they're not doing that kind of stuff in um, that quick so I find with with my guys it's it's you know a little bit of <laughs> changing their mind right changing their mindset and showing them the boring stuff is what's going to make you better because there's it's, it's not about your athleticism that will come that will go you can improve it but if your brain is ready for situations on the court you're going to you know you're going to put yourself in positions you're going to put yourself in, in and your sorry your team in positions to score you know to win to play to play better basketball and and I think that's what a lot of coaches now with the game developing are more and more of them are looking for that and um, the, the, the Kobe mindset I think is as bad as it sounds. I think it impacted a lot of people after his death where yeah. they looked at it differently because they go, Oh, he, like he did what in, with, you know, in arts or visual arts in yeah. two, three years. Why? Well, cause his, his way worked. He immersed himself in it after. Um, and the, the same way that he did with basketball, it was, I'm giving everything I have to basketball right here so that when you're coming in for an hour and a half to train, that's that's where your focus is the entire time. And uh, it's a fun part to work with guys, like to, to build that focus and you, know, you, you compare and you're like, well, you know, there's 15 and 16 year, year old kids that are mentally, you know, they're still maturing and you would say they're immature, but only when comparing them to a 23 or 24 year old. When you compare them to our generation and other generations I'm sure of the same age, they're way further ahead. Like a lot further ahead. Yeah, honestly, when
0: I was like playing basketball in high school, I never thought of the game mentally. It was always like doing drills, always making sure that I was in shape. But I never took time to meditate. Never took time to um, just you know be in my own thoughts and like attack the game mentally. And that was never um, never taught to me. It was never like a big topic that was brought up during you know during like with coaching and everything. So that was never anything that I personally um, looked into, um, but now I see it everywhere, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. There it is. It, 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 it's everywhere, and it's, I think it, it's a good thing. Um, it's a really good thing for the players. The, the, um, the only neg- negative thing I, I see to it is we go back to, like what Nav was saying, where there's too much, and that now they don't know where to focus. Because if you know, we go back and we had, you know, you shoot, you dribble, you pass. You rebound. And even when we, you know, we learn to perfect specific things. And and you can go back to, like, our our friend group. And with every single guy, you'd be like, oh, this is what he did. Like, he was exceptional at this. Um, I find now the only downside is that guys don't have as much of, like, perfecting. Because they're jumping from one thing to another to another Mm -hmm. to another. And that kind of goes in with Nav's, you know, attention span thing. But they're jumping around more and more. And that's why I think it becomes even more important to have that, like that mental focus back. But you're right that they're on a they're on a different level with how they think the game. Like we didn't, yeah, we, like we didn't we didn't break it down.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Like how do you how do you um, control a generation of athletes that are addicted to dopamine hits, rapid dopamine hits, to master the boring and focus on their preparation? Um, but you know, if you can. And that's just, you know, once you develop that teaching style, um, especially with the amount of positive information that is out there, if you can teach kids how to cultivate the right things, um, I mean, there's no better time to be an athlete than now.
2: No, there's so many tools. So it was like, even even as a trainer, there's no better time because it's so easy to, you know, to look at somebody else and you might not agree with hundred percent of what they're doing, but you can see it and you go, I'd like every part of it except, you know, one little thing and I'm going to. Change that to accommodate my player. I'm going to change that to, you know, and just modify it a little bit. Yeah.
0: So circling back to um, your point on how networking, building relationships, connections um, have been such a crucial part of your business. Um, do you have like a mentor that you that you've been going to? I know you've been working with Marno and his his sons at his facilities. Like like what? Like, do you are you seeking out a mentor? Do you have one right now? And how do you
2: feel like it's been able to help your your uh, program? Um, I have many mentors. It's you know I, I take I, I take and absorb from anybody that I can. If I think that they're onto something or they've got you know uh, something that I can use, I absorb it and I and I I connect that back to building the relationships and holding on to the relationships because then there isn't any kind of, oh, he stole this from me. People are a lot more willing to, you know, even if it's an idea, they share it with you. But if you have a great relationship with them and then you use it, now it's they've passed it on. If you don't have a good relationship, that passing it on turns into, you know, they took it from me or they copied what I did. Um, I've been very lucky that I've been around just, I mean, I, I, I've i been around positive people that have, there's a couple of parents um, that have helped me more than I've helped myself in situations through connecting me with, with people. Um, there's been a couple of players that have, like the, the you know, the stuff with Justin and Laurier came about because one of the players that I was training um, uses their gym over Christmas break. And... She or she she's, was in France at the time. She's back right now for a little bit, but she wanted to train there. So she got in contact with Justin, said, I'm going to bring out my trainer. After I was out, he'd watched some of the stuff that he'd done, and then he talked to her about connecting with me. Um, so, I, you know, the, that, that relationship part to me is really important because if you do well for people and you help them with their goals, and that, that's the big, right, that goal setting, if you help people with their goals – then you're part of the process and they trust you and they'll recommend you to the, to the next person. Uh, and, and I've been really, really lucky that the people that I've associated with have, you know, we've had common, common goals. And one of my biggest, like one of my biggest successes is Josiah, in the, who's in the U.S. right now, who's playing on the U16 national team for Canada. Um, and when, when I talked to his mom when we first met, you know, they didn't know me, I didn't know them. One of my friends... Who teach who was a teacher at his school just thought, hey, you really should work with this kid. So again, there's a connection because he trusted what I was doing. And you know, when I talked to Mom, I still remember the first conversation, I said, that's very, very simple. The better he does, the better that I do. Right? The better that I do, the better that he does. So we're and, and that's the way I look at every single one of my relationships with players and with anybody else that we are together. Like, I, we're a spiral together, and the higher up we go, we're both going up. There's no, there's no, I cannot go up and one of my players goes down, and one of my players cannot go up without me going up with them, as long as we hold on to those relationships so that when I'm going up, I'm also looking out for them. When they're going up, they're also looking out for me. And I think that, you know, that trust and all that, yeah, as much as I talk about that relationship building, it still comes down to, is the coach helping me with my skills? Like, is, are they making me better? Because the, the trust will break down and guys will slowly drift away if you're not actually helping the game. You can be the nicest player or the nicest trainer and, and be connected with them and love their family and all of that. But if you still aren't helping them and improving them, they'll slowly, you know, disassociate from you. Cool. So how's your game
0: evolved? Are you still playing a lot? Are you, like, doing drills with these guys? Are you playing runs and... five The last...
2: Or? The last month... I don't know, when did we go into Red? That's when I kind of stopped. Yeah. Uh, before that, I've got a couple of guys that we, um, I told them, I'm like, you know, I still like to work on my game. So instead of doing a training, they'll just train with me. So there's there's two guys that, and again, it's they live close by to the facility that we use. So we go and we train in the mornings. And usually that is not a training for them. It's yeah. not like, we're, we're not, we're just going and competing and, you know they're it's one of the uh, one of their opportunities where they don't have to worry about listening and and, uh, and paying attention it's just I don't know. you get to you get to just go through drills and I think you learn from that because now they're you know they're not being trained through that so they can step away from it walk away from it and I hope that one day if they if they enjoy it they go oh, you know what I learned some stuff while I was doing that I could do some training as well yeah. so as far as my game I don't know it's I, I, I we had we've had a couple of runs uh, like in the recent past, and you know, I tell the guys, I'm like, I watch, and I know that I can get to any, like, I can get to any spot on the court yeah. because of the pace, the angles, the like, the body positioning, strength, and stuff. The hard part is putting the ball in the net, <laughs> and, that, and that's that's what goes quick. Like, it goes quickly if you're not if you're not in the gym working on it. The um and it goes back then to my training philosophy of getting shots up is pretty easy, but once I teach you how to get to spots how to attack places, how to fully be in control. Then the only thing left is to get your shots up and your your game will will get better from it.
0: Yeah. I Absolutely.
1: Like... Well, so much of what we talk about on this podcast is NBA related and you know, as a as a hoops fan and someone that follows the NBA closely, I'm assuming still. Yeah. That you still yeah, follow yeah, the yeah, NBA yeah. pretty closely. Oh, yeah. More um, and
2: more now with like the, where I'm getting into. Yeah. Yeah. So Teams,
1: players, who do you like to watch? Who are you excited about watching this season? So that's two. And say third, if you're talking to a player and you want them to admire a certain person's skill set in the NBA, who's that player? I know it's, I know it's position dependent. Yeah, but...
2: it's, it's position dependent, but there's always the same kind of attributes to it. Um, I, I, I work with guards mostly. So one, two, I'd even consider the three these days. It's basically a, just a bigger guard. The skills are the exact same. Um, so I'll, just to, to answer those questions, my, you know, my philosophy is to teach you, and it's a funny way, but I tell this to a lot of guys is if I can teach you to play like a 40 year old and like a good 40 year old, when I, in, when I add in your 20 year old athleticism, you're, you're going to be the best player anywhere you play. So now that'll probably give you an answer of who do I like watching in the NBA? Kyle Lowry. I, I like, I, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him as like a, player he's not my number one he's not my number no top five top ten players but when I tell guys learn how to like you want to get to a high level learn what you don't look at John Wall and Russell Westbrook you just don't you're even if you have close to that athleticism that's not who you who I would tell to look at so I watch guys like CJ McCollum um, I like I like Victor depot, but again there's just a lot of athleticism there mm-hmm. so it, it masks and it can hide some of his deficiencies. CJ McCollum is not overly athletic you know NBA standard, he's not an overly athletic player. You know, Kyle Lowry, Fred. I was talking to, you know, somebody I think yesterday about, you know, Fred. Because he's, you know, he's 6 feet, maybe 6'1". And he can score on guys that are 6'5", six 6'9", six 7 feet. Why? Because of the things that he does well. You know, he knows how to attack angles. He knows how to use his body. He knows, he knows how to finish and shoot. But... I like to talk to guys about watching those players because that's the reality. Right? That's the reality of most players, whether they're in the U.S. or Canada. Um, they're not, you cannot go into games expecting to be the most athletic player and then base your game on that because somebody will match you at some point. Yeah, and, Lowry
1: and Van Fleet, those are two great uh, yeah. <laughs> examples because could you imagine you're a coach, and you got those two players in tryouts, and they're they're the hardest workers on offense. They're the hardest workers on defense, defense yeah. and they're out there taking charges, yeah. which is a lost art. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. I, I like every I watch them, and more and more now, I really like pay attention to. You just start thinking, how is a guy that's you know barely six feet tall scoring twenty five to thirty on any given night? How and well, why is there why are there guys in NBA that are six foot seven, with more athleticism that can't score ten? And it comes down it comes down to more than skill. It really does. It comes down to more than skill. It comes down to the like the, the mental part of, you know, having that attitude, but also being able to get to spots, knowing how to get to spots, knowing how to play with pace, knowing how to make the the proper read and the right decision. And and that, you know, going back to to kind of tied in with training, that's the hardest part. And and you know, we, we said earlier like our games were let's go four on four, five on five, rim park. Whatever somewhere we went we'd play. There came there was a long time and, and I think it's still around right now where that we're still in it where it's the extreme opposite and it's all training. And, and no, no no it's all playing. training yeah yeah so it's way less like guys go they train they train maybe they do one on one two on two but you get into a lot of you know unrealistic over dribbling scenarios and and one of the and again I'm kind of like just snowballing with things but Kyrie right now is a huge if like amongst the younger generation he's just right up there as far as he's he's kind of like the Kobe the you you can't say anything about him too negative with that high school age group because he's appealing to watch do you want to train a guy to go from one side of the court with 12 dribbles to the other side of the court and then do another six more no and you, you can't, you won't. Um, the, he's an exceptional talent, and that's what he is. But it's not somebody that you'd want to emulate his game.
1: Yeah, and um, I know I asked a couple of questions just about like NBA teams and stuff like that. But I like that you mentioned Kyrie Irving um, for so many different reasons. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big, uh, I'm a big uh, criticizer of his leadership. And just one thing I want to talk to you right now yep. about is, you know, you said talking. About Kyrie Irving, how you can't talk about him to the to the high school a- athlete. Um, I question his leadership, and most yeah. recently, he came out and said that he's not speaking to the media. Um, when anything that he's gone on to say publicly has always been by his own fault. Yeah, um, he told the Boston fans that he he was going to sign if they'd have him. He ended up <laughs> leaving. Um, he most recently on Kevin Durant's show told Kevin Durant that. It's finally nice to play with someone Yeah, I, I was just crutch. reading about that today, <laughs> actually. Um, and he played with LeBron James. Yeah. Um, and now he's gone on and said that he's not speaking in the media.
2: I haven't heard that. I just, I saw the thing today. I was the, uh, LeBron's kind of uh, response to it, probably it, like mine, was very surprised. And so for kids that look up to a guy, um,
1: he's obviously not cognizant of the fact that a lot of people are looking up to him and he's behaving the way that he is. Um, how much... I know that, like, how much leadership are you teaching with your players? And I know that you said you're spending a lot of time with Manu Watsa, and I know that his point guard college program is, you know, probably 80% leadership-based. Yeah. Um, how much leadership, how, how much focus is there on something like leadership, which was so crucial, regardless of what level of play you're at? Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that are you teaching your yeah, players? especially
0: for a guard, too,
1: right? So,
2: for, I... So it comes back to, uh, you know, kind of experiences. And so I think Mono, like from, I spent four or five months with him this year um, through COVID and really learned a lot from him. And it was more so the techniques, not just the philosophy behind it. I think philosophies change from player to player because you have players like Tim Duncan and Kobe with the same amount of success in the NBA with two totally different Mm -hmm. approaches to the game. So for me, leadership is not just about having a specific way of, you know, dealing and talking with the, your teammates. Um, it's about how are you holding them accountable? And I, th- and I think there's some parts that are just general kind of laws of you are, you know, you have to be the one that leads by example. So you cannot ask somebody just like in any, any position in the world, you cannot ask somebody to do something that you yourself aren't willing to do. And, and from there, um, being with Mono, what I learned was well, how do you, you know, what are the techniques that you can that you can um, use and utilize during times where there's going to be problems? So you know, communicating was a big par- was a big part of it. Um, writing down checklists for yourself. So if you're working as a, on your own leadership, it's write down two or three things that you want to do during that game, and then come back to it at halftime. Come back to it at the end of the game and say, did I actually do that? Because that's how you're going to build those habits. So you might have you know, uh, be positive after a teammate's mistake. Um, You might have, um, you know, help somebody get up or help guys get up every time they fall. And you might have, you know, don't question the coach this game or have good body language. And then Mm -hmm. you come back to it at at the half and you reassess, okay, you know, did I I did three of those or two of those things. I really didn't do this one and this one. And so what I learned from Mono was, um, you know, him leading me in a way as well was that players have to know what their – what their goal is and then they have to have a way of being able to hold themselves accountable um i uh, you know talking with a lot of guys i try to do to work on leadership the better of a relationship that we have you know i can't have a guy that comes to me every two or three weeks i watch his game i think he's got some negative um ways that he's handling problems and stuff on the court i can't then come in and just get on him about his leadership style i think there has to be uh, there has to be trust. There has to be some kind of relationship built before that. And so, th- anybody that I that I work with longer on a more um, consistent basis, we we do leadership all the time. And it's usually me just telling them, you can't be that. You know, you can't be that way. You've got to, you've got to turn around. You want guys to want to play with you, whether it's because you're you're doing something really well or because they feel good when they play with you. And so, you know, it's just it's a constant reminder when we play. Some guys need it more than others. Some guys are great leaders, but when they blow up, it's a bigger blow up and then you just have to tell them, hey you blew up there um, you know over your own mistake and you got upset because somebody called you out on it. So a lot of it is be aware, right Be aware things are gonna happen. you're gonna make mistakes, other players are gonna make mistakes. And so it's just you know a lot of the kids just talk them through, talk them through without blaming them of just telling them, yep, it happened. Oh, you got upset okay. Um, let's move on. And I, you know, I enjoy that part. And that that's also, you know, my teaching background where you, you have to, you have to relate to them and tell them it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not a lecture. It's more so, yeah, it happened it, and that's it.
1: And it's funny because it doesn't really matter what level of player at or how good you are. Um, some of the best players in the league um, suffer from poor leadership or, mm-hmm. or the ability to uh, or the inability to connect when they're frustrated, so they revert to their social media, they revert to their Twitter, and that's just the, that's the yeah, era yeah. that we live in, yeah, where yeah. some people have a hard time articulating how they feel when the going yeah. gets rough. Mm. Um, so, you know, they, they
2: blow up. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that you say that, because you would think that, you know, for a lot of us, our careers are centered around interacting with people and having people like working with us. That's what, you know, that's, that's most of, most people's jobs are do people enjoy working with you that's how you're going and do a good job you know that'll lead you to success and so i think a lot of us when we watch these things we're like how are you so off in your actions you know you mentioned a guy like Kyrie, who i still you know i try to give him the benefit of the doubt but there are so many instances where you go how you know where what what did you miss for you know, understanding that that was not going to go over well. Yeah, well, Deion, Deion,
1: Dale believes that he's a recent grad of LeBron's School of Leadership. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Or if you're James Harden, why are you at a strip club right now and not at training camp I heard there the was an injury. Day?
2: I heard there was an injury and that they're okay with it. I don't know. He slipped on a dollar bill at strip club. <laughs> Yeah. Um, does that come back to why he's not a winner? Okay. Okay. That's you agreed. know, there's, there's a lot of... So I, and at the end of the day, only so many guys can be winners. But I look at a guy like Jimmy Butler, and I think he's a winner. I don't know why he does not want anything. and I think but he's, he's a galvanized himself, a teammate. But, and, and, you know, he's in Minnesota, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt. He was in Philly. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, he gets to Miami, and it's like, okay. There was a reason I was given him the benefit of the doubt. Like, there was something about his leadership... You know, style, and maybe it needed to get to the right situation because I think even great leaders need people that are that want to follow. Right. Well,
1: it's yeah. funny we talk about the we talk about the Clippers in this podcast, and one of the things we said was um, they blew a three-one lead, but they had arguably the best player in the league at that time mm-hmm. in Kawhi Leonard, you know, the reigning Finals MVP. Yeah. And you know what got them over that hump was when they went flat and Paul George was cold. Um, People were looking at Kawhi as yeah. he's the player that gets coddled. He's the player that gets load management. He's argu- he is their best player. Yeah. And therefore, when the going gets rough, you look to your leaders to exercise leadership. And that's the one void that the Clippers have yeah. that they haven't really figured out that I think is going to hinder them next season as yeah. well.
2: And I think you can, be a quiet, you, know, you can be a quiet leader like Kawhi when your game is on. The guys will follow that. Mm-hmm. But it's, then you're dependent on one thing. You're dependent on your game going well and there's so many instances in sports where guys are having one of their worst games like i remember kobe game seven against the celtics six of 24 and you would have never thought like you watched him play and you're like he's he is going to will his team to win and how do you teach that right like i i i really there's some 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 stuff like that where you where you struggle one of the conversations i had today with again the coach i was talking to earlier was how do you get guys to play hard and usually that's a sign of leadership there's no if if we look at the the best leaders one of the traits is always that they were one of the hardest workers on the court and like Kyle on on the Raptors championship team well see that's why I think Kawhi was so successful Mm -hmm. that
1: year is because he had Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka in the locker room Kawhi in San Antonio never had to worry about leadership because he had Greg Popovich Tim Duncan Tony Parker and Manny Ginobili Um, Kobe Bryant, you know, I, um, I never, I wasn't like diehard watch Kobe every night, but one of the things I observed from the big picture was he might not have been the best leader in terms of, you know, teammate every single year, but he always had the Derek Fishers, the Robert Ory's, um, you know, players like that. So sometimes you need to put those more vocal people around the talent. And you would think
2: Pat Beverly. He's a vocal guy, but I guess just not in the right, not in the right way. It's not directed like in the that. right place. Okay. He's vocal. He's vocal enough. Yeah. But. So I think
0: uh, we should wrap it up now. has been in the shop for almost twelve <laughs> hours, so I think we should uh, try to let him go home. Uh, but Nick, thank you so much for uh, joining us and giving us your time. Again, congratulations on the uh, expected uh, baby, and you know, you. best of luck with everyone with that. And uh, you know, we'll catch up whenever but again thank you for thank you for your time thank thanks you. a lot man we'll have you on again Yeah, for sure, well, thank, most you, definitely. thank you for guys sure. for giving
2: me the platform to yeah. know, just talk a lot <laughs> 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 i appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, hey, we you to it thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you on the next
0: episode. Peace. Cheers.